support from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Morning in Minnesota. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. We ask for healing. We're heartbroken. We are heartbroken. Hearts are heavy after a heavily armed man in suburban Minneapolis killed two cops and a paramedic early yesterday. The community is broken right now and our hearts are heavy. There are little children here who are going to be missing their daddy. The shots rang out while police responded to a domestic disturbance call in Burnsville, Minnesota. Medics, please back off. Medics, back off and turn off lights. Correspondent Jonah Kaplan. As police arrived, the man opened fire. Uh, several officers uh, did uh, return fire. I will note that this individual had uh, several guns and large amounts of ammunition. Two 27-year-old officers from the Burnsville Police Department were struck and killed. A paramedic who rushed to the aid of one of them also died in the shootout. First responders rushed to the home about 20 minutes outside Minneapolis, where the armed man was barricaded inside, along with his family. The suspect is dead. Seven children inside that home got out alive. Russia's detained over 400 citizens citizens since the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The critic of the Kremlin died last week under suspicious circumstances at a Siberian prison. Here's the BBC's Sarah Rainsford. Police have arrested people across the country, including a priest who wanted to lead a prayer service. Men in black hoods keep clearing away the flowers so that the scale of support for Navalny isn't obvious. Navalny's widow says her late husband was poisoned with the same drug that nearly took his life several years ago. She claims the Kremlin is hiding his body to cover up the crime. Experts believe the alleged assassination is a warning to other would-be dissidents ahead of Russian presidential elections next month. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham wants Russia to be designated a state sponsor of terrorism. Let's make them pay a price for killing Navalny. It would allow the Navalny family to go to U.S. court and sue Putin's Russia for killing of their loved one. A state sponsor of terrorism designation is a game changer. It would allow more sanctions. It would open up the American courtroom. Graham's comments come just a couple days before the second year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky. Do not ask Ukraine when the war will end. Ask yourself, why is Putin still able to continue it? Last week, the U.S. Senate passed a $95 billion foreign aid package for Ukraine and Israel. But the measure's dead on arrival in the House because Republicans say it doesn't go far enough at beefing up our southern border. The impeachment trial of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas gets underway next week in the U.S. Senate. An acquittal appears to be a foregone conclusion. Mayorkas was impeached by the House last week for failing to secure the southern border. He is the first cabinet secretary in nearly 150 years to be impeached. Nearly all of California under a flood watch today as another atmospheric river rolls in. Reporter Liz Croyd has more from Santa Barbara. California can't catch a break right now. It's pouring down on us here and you can see this fast rising Russian Creek behind me. It goes right through downtown Santa Barbara and there's concern that it could overflow and flood 
flood some of the low-lying historic neighborhoods here. That's what happened two weeks ago during those back-to-back -back atmospheric rivers we saw. And now some of the same areas that are still dealing with cleanup from those storms are dealing with another round of heavy rain. This worried homeowner says her entire street is off limits due to the torrents of water that has no place to go. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few days. They put this water reserve in front of my house and they're piping all the mud and dirt into this tank and sending it down the sewer. Excessive rain in the forecast for most of California through Tuesday. There's also the risk of sinkholes, potholes, rock slides, landslides, and mudslides. Rain in Daytona, Florida, forcing a delay in the great American race. For just the third time in the 66-year history of the Daytona 500, that race will be run on a Monday, not a Sunday. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is this year's Grand Marshal and gets to tell the drivers to start their engine. I really want to make sure that um, my words and my energy is uh, a reflection and a respectful reflection of what the drivers need from me and also what the fans need. Today's race set for 4 o'clock this afternoon. GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley is taking shots at the party frontrunner Donald Trump. Speaking in her home state of South Carolina, she called him a distraction that's going to cost Republicans come November. He said himself he's going to spend more time in a courtroom than on the campaign trail. We can't win like that. The South Carolina primary is coming up this Saturday. The fate of Trump's business empire is in limbo after a judge ruled Friday against him in a more than $350 million civil fraud case. The ex-president vows to appeal. The case is a complete and total sham. It's a sham case. There were no victims, no defaults, no damages, no complaints, no nothing. There was nothing. New York's Attorney General Tish James, who campaigned on bringing down Trump, said the ruling proves that no one is above the law. No matter how rich, powerful, or politically connected you are, everyone must play by the same rules. Some financial experts fear the ripple effect of the Trump ruling could cause other real estate developers to flee New York. If you're a developer and you see this happen in the state of New York, why would you take the risk to put up this much money and have a judge arbitrarily decide that you are in some form of breach of fraud when no damages occurred at all? And this is the same process that occurs everywhere. Kevin O'Leary is a business analyst and television personality on the hit TV show Shark Tank. Former President Jimmy Carter marked one year in hospice care yesterday. His grandson Jason admits the ex-president's been through a lot in recent years. Through all of those changing times, he truly has clung to his unchanging principles. Faith, respect for human dignity, equality, human rights. At 99, Carter is both the oldest living former president and the longest lived president in U.S. history. His wife of 77 years, Rosalind, died back in November. And this year's NBA All-Star Game was won for the record books. The Eastern Conference beat the Western Conference by a score of 211 to 186 in the highest scoring All-Star Game of all time. Still to come on the Noon Report, Hoko 
maple apology, human composting, and maple syrup season. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams, time for a chilly afternoon and night, but some milder weather to follow. Forecast details in 10. All right, Kevin Williams, we'll see you then. Let's check the stories making news across New York and Pennsylvania next. Corning Incorporated is laying off more workers. 20% of its employees at the Corning Irwin plant in New York's southern tier will be out of a job by the middle of May. That's a little more than 100 of the 500 people who work there. Last month, Corning laid off 1,000 employees, including 200 locally. Two people are dead after a high-speed chase in Lockport, New York. A driver and passenger in a stolen vehicle refused to pull over and then hit a tree late Saturday. Niagara County Sheriff Michael Filicetti. Obviously, uh, pursuits are, can be dangerous. Um, you know, we, we had to make sure that we maintained a safe distance and that there was safety uh, because of the speed. So uh, this ended tragically. Um, you know, this could have been avoided. The car that crashed was stolen from Rochester. Both of those killed were from Rochester. Now the good that people do. Thon had a record setting year this year at Penn State University. It's going amazing. Honestly, the sense of community here is just so surreal. And being on the floor is simply like magical. It's grown and, you know, passion for me to like really try to make my little part of the world a better place. And this is one of the best ways I can do it. The largest student-led philanthropic endeavor in the country raised millions for pediatric cancer research. This year's total surpassed $16 million. That's an all-time record. Penn State freshman, THON participant, and cancer survivor, Braden Flegel. No child should have to fight for their life before they've begun to live it. No family should have to watch their child go through the challenge, something that's not their fault. Even a dollar, $10, $100, it might seem like such a small gesture for you, but from someone who's benefited from THON as a childhood cancer survivor, your generosity means so much. The new THON record was revealed after more than 700 students danced for 46 straight hours at the Bryce Jordan Center. Former New York Congressman Joe Sempolinski is running for state assembly. The Republican finished the term of Congressman Tom Reed, who resigned in May of 2022. Sempolinski is now seeking the state seat held by Joseph Giglio, who is stepping down when his term is up. That assembly seat covers Cattaraugus, Allegheny, and parts of Steuben counties. Delays in FAFSA forms are causing headache for prospective college students and their families. Mark Lorries, the superintendent of the Niagara Falls School District, he calls this process a mess. I'm hearing a mess, and I'm hearing frustration, and I'm hearing uh, concern. The rollout has been disastrous. The U.S. Education Department says those FAFSA forms will not be available until sometime in March. They're usually available months earlier in October. Students need to fill out the forms to determine how much federal aid they'll get for college. Because of the FAFSA delays, SUNY has delayed until mid-May its deposit deadline for prospective students. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro says he doesn't put much stock in presidential polls this time of year. The first-term Democrat says it's way too early to worry about the numbers in the swing state that is Pennsylvania. The campaign hasn't really even joined yet. And this is the reason why we run races. And I would say to folks who are worried about the numbers, stop worrying and start working. Recent polls in Pennsylvania have the race between President Biden and former President Trump 
pretty much tied. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is apologizing for an analogy that she made about the two sides in the war in the Middle East. She compared Israel and Hamas to Buffalo and Canada. Hochul was speaking at a Jewish event in New York City when she said, and we're quoting here, if Canada ever attacked Buffalo, I'm sorry, my friends, there would be no more Canada the next day, end quote. The governor apologized for what she called a poor choice of words and inappropriate analogy, adding that while Israel has a right to self-defense, Palestinian civilian casualties should be avoided. It's a day off from school and work for a lot of folks, and you can thank the 45 men who've occupied the Oval Office for that. Family Life's D. Haley has more on President's Day 2024. President's Day is a federal holiday. Government offices, including the post office, most banks, and public schools are closed today. In case you were wondering, President's Day started as a celebration of George Washington's birthday on February 22nd. Congress changed the holiday in 1971 to fall on the third Monday of February each year, creating a long weekend. Celebrations grew to include Abraham Lincoln, who had a mid-February birthday, and then presidents from throughout U.S. history. Some states still celebrate the holiday as Washington's birthday, others as Washington and Lincoln's birthday, but most Americans now call it President's Day. D. Haley. Family Life News. Thank you, Dee. New York is one of six states that permit human composting as a form of burial. What is human composting? WGRZ's Ron Plan. This is above ground decomposition in a sealed chamber, and then the organic matter can be disposed of in the cemetery. Doug Wasira is director of the Mount Calvary Cemetery in Buffalo. Now, there are folks who want an environmentally friendly option. You know, they, they see the in-ground burials as taking up green space or or cremation is something that is putting a lot of CO2 in the air, so they're looking for something as an alternative. This alternative includes a non-embalmed body kept in a cold steel chamber, which is then covered with layers of bark, straw, alfalfa, and wood chips to assist in the decomposition. That entire process takes about a month. The body is giving off gases as it's decomposing. Um, those, the infrastructure that you have to put in place for those natural organic reduction facilities, um, you have to think about air handling, you have to think about temperature, humidity. Human composting costs about half what a traditional burial does. And by the way, 60% of New Yorkers who die today are cremated. President's Day traditionally marks the start of the maple syrup season. And this year, the sap is flowing early due to a milder winter. Maple maker Greg Keyes has already harvested about a third of his crop. So we started making maple syrup on February 2nd. The February thaw had Keyes tap in his trees a lot sooner than normal this year. If you get those ideal freeze-thaw conditions, the season might uh, actually last a little bit longer and the volume might be better. Another local maple maker, Dan Milkey, tells Wham News. We're still getting the good cold snaps of, uh, of temperature that we want to have to uh, keep that sap moving. We need to have the cold nights below freezing and warm days above uh, freezing, preferably up around the mid-40s. It takes 40 gallons of sap to make just one gallon of syrup. Maple syrup season typically lasts until early spring. This is the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. <laughs>
All right, let's check sports next. Gentlemen, start your engines. They'll try again to get the Daytona 500 in in Florida today. Start time set for 4 o'clock this afternoon. Rain yesterday caused just the third postponement in the 66-year history of the great American race. One of the best players in big league baseball will have to wait to make his spring training debut. We're talking, of course, about L.A. Dodgers star Shohei Otani. Did not participate in live batting practice yesterday and will not suit up in the spring training opener this Thursday. The two-time AL MVP signed a record 10-year, $700 million contract with the Dodgers back in December. The 29-year-old Otani is a two-way player, but he will not be pitching at all this season as he recovers from right elbow surgery. Otani is hoping to be ready for the season opener against the Padres in Seoul, South Korea on March 20th. Damian Lillard and Tyrese Halliburton combined for 71 points to lead the East to a 211 to 186 win over the West in the NBA All-Star game that was played in Indy this year. Lillard was named the MVP, scoring 39 points, knocking down 11 threes. By the way, it was the highest scoring NBA All-Star game in history. On the ice, in overtime, the New York Rangers beat the New York Islanders 6-5 at MetLife Stadium. They played that one. The Penguins fell to the Kings 2-1. The Avalanche skate past the Coyotes 4-3. Finally, men's college basketball action. The second-ranked team in the country, the Purdue Boilermakers, lose to the Ohio State Buckeyes by a score of 73-69. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. And still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday, President's Day trivia, forcing kids to apply for college and cashing in on cornhole. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Well, years from now, by God's grace, the world may look back with horror on this abortion holocaust that's engulfed our nation and much of the Western world for so long. And when the world does, people will discuss the movements that help make this injustice unthinkable for civilized people. Part of this conversation will be how the movement recruited champions, especially younger people, and equipped them to defend the pre-born. One of the names that will be mentioned will be Scott Klusendorf, the president of Life Training Institute. With tireless effort over decades now, Scott has been among the most articulate case makers for the dignity and sanctity of life. He's made the case to thousands and thousands. Even more, he's helped others make the case and learn how to do it in conversation with friends and family and neighbors and strangers. In response to these disappointing revelations about the American public over the last few years, Scott Klusendorf has released now a comprehensively revised and expanded edition of The Case for Life. The second edition features eight new chapters and a thorough revision of 10 other chapters. In this expanded version, Scott Klusendorf masterfully informs and equips us to respond to the latest pro-abortion arguments. Often, so-called experts get away with repeating misinformation and falsely representing what's true. But Klusendorf takes the strongest pro-abortion thinkers out there and the strongest pro-abortion arguments head-on. For instance, the young law lecturer at Oxford who claims that while the pre-born are human, they're not really persons. Klusendorf points out that these distinctions based on consciousness or sentience are arbitrary and open to abuse. 
He also clarifies five key objectives of every effective pro-life advocate, which make up the five big sections of the book. This month, secure a copy of the new and updated revised Case for Life through a donation of any amount to the Colson Center. Just go to colsoncenter.org slash case for life. That's colsoncenter.org slash case for life. We need to equip ourselves as if lives depend on it because they actually do. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Jared Hayden. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. Lake snows and other snows have gradually gone away, and some milder weather is on the way. But still a chill for the afternoon, sun and clouds, high temps, 30s. Call it the low to mid-30s, except higher elevations hold in the 20s, dropping back to the teens tonight. Tomorrow and Wednesday, a good deal of sunshine and turning milder. High temperatures tomorrow, 30s to near 40. High temperatures on Wednesday in the 40s to near 50. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Here's what's happening Monday, the 19th of February. Minnesota Governor Tim Wolz has ordered flags lowered to half staff in his state following the shooting deaths of three first responders. Two of them were 27-year-old cops, the third a 40-year-old paramedic. They died yesterday while responding to a domestic disturbance at a home in suburban Minneapolis. Burnsville Police Chief Tanya Schwartz. We are all hurting. Our officers, our fire department, our families, all of our staff, our community. We're heartbroken. The gunman is also dead. Seven kids inside that home managed to get out alive. Hundreds have been arrested in Russia for mourning the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. One of them was beaten by police for laying flowers at a public memorial. The Kremlin says the investigation into his death is ongoing at a penal colony in Siberia. Here's Fox News reporter Benjamin Hall. The body itself, his body, uh, is also still missing. His mother went to visit the morgue where he was thought to be held, but she was pushed out of the morgue, and now Navalny's wife is saying that he was killed with Novichok, the same substance that he was poisoned with back in 2021. And there are also reports that the FSB, the modern-day KGB, went to visit him in hospital two days before his death. So everyone saying that he was killed by the Russian regime. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham wants Russia designated a state sponsor of terrorism. GOP presidential hopeful Nikki Haley is critical of Donald Trump's response to the Russia threat. It's amazing to me how weak in the knees he is when it comes to Putin, because you look at the fact he is yet to say anything about Navalny's death, which Putin murdered him. It's what he does to his political opponents. He's yet to say anything about seizing Russian assets and allowing that money to go to Ukraine. Why would you not want to have those assets seized? It's sitting in Congress. He should be calling for that. He doesn't talk about anything. All he does is go on late night rants talking about his court cases. Speaking of those court cases, Trump's expected to appeal a massive civil fraud penalty imposed last week by a judge in New York. Texas Senator Ted Cruz says he should. The judge's decision in New York is an outrage. This was a partisan Democrat judge adjudicating on a case brought by a partisan Democrat attorney general. The judge in the case ordered Trump pay $355 million in fines for inflating the value of his real estate. He's also been banned from doing business in New York 
for three years. It's just what California doesn't need, more rain. They're getting socked again with another atmospheric river, which could bring more flooding and mudslides. Periods of moderate to heavy rain, that will be the story all the way into Wednesday. So we're also looking at some dangers along the coastline with high surf and uh, coastal flooding possibilities. More than 30 million Californians under flood watches today. A sweep at Britain's version of the Oscars. The BAFTA goes to Oppenheimer. The movie about the man behind the atomic bomb won seven awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor for Killian Murphy. You know, one man's monster is another man's hero, and that's why I love movies, because we have a space to celebrate uh, and interrogate uh, and investigate that complexity. That report from Deborah Rodriguez, Oppenheimer's nominated for 13 Oscars at next month's Academy Awards show. Joel Osteen's Houston Megachurch held Sunday services a week after a woman opened fire in the sanctuary with a rifle. She was protesting the war in Gaza and was killed by an off-duty cop. Her seven-year-old son was critically wounded. Billed as a special service of healing, Osteen told the congregation, God's got us covered. Two Colorado high schoolers are cashing in for college because of their skill at cornhole. Gavin Heyman and Jackson Remick, two Colorado high school students, are going to college not to make their cornhole skills better, but because of their cornhole skills. You see, the two have signed letters of intent to compete in the backyard and tailgate game at Winthrop University, a Division I school in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And because of their skill, they're both receiving scholarships covering roughly half of their tuition. Pro cornhole player and Winthrop coach Dusty Thompson said it's history being made. The game is not new to Heyman or Remick, who were two-time American champions in high school. And while they are in school, they will not only play for the university, but as members of the professional cornhole team, the Colorado Timber. Their ultimate goal, to help the next generation of cornhole players love the game. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, thank you, Brian. You're listening to the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays during the Noon Report, we spotlight the issues impacting our schools with Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute in Houghton, New York. Ralph, happy President's Day, sir. I didn't get you a card this year. Hope you'll forgive me. <laughs> I will. Okay. Well, hey, it is President's Day, but it's also winter break in New York. That means kids are on break for the entire week. It's been raised before, but a lot of folks wonder because they've got the spring break coming up as well a little bit. Why not just give the kids more time off in the summer, Ralph, instead of taking that week off in the bleak midwinter? What say you, good sir? Well, you know, you get me into trouble very often with some of your questions, and yeah. you're going to get me in big trouble if I ever suggested that we do away with uh, the winter break, which we're currently on. I mean, this is a tradition that goes way back, and if you talk to uh, school staff, you would not have a talking point very long with them because they love hmm. the break in the winter. But, you know, in New York State, not all the schools take this week. Many of them take 
two weeks at Easter, which makes scheduling in some schools just a real problem. So this is a longstanding tradition. I don't think it's going to change in in uh, my lifetime, at least. Gotcha. And it is a, a basically a teacher preference. Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, the teachers earn it, and it's a lot different when you're in upstate New York versus the Bahamas or something yeah. during winter break. Uh, there's a huge debate in Pennsylvania about taxpayer dollars funding school voucher programs. Uh, what do you think of that, Ralph? Should these funds be off limits, or should the money follow the students since more students are going this route? What do you say? Well, again, a really troubling question, but and I know that a lot of people will not agree with me on this one, but I th- think the money should follow the students, and the reason I say that is because I believe that if you're providing the best educational program that you can provide in a public school, you don't have to worry about people going uh, wanting to take their money in a school voucher. I have personal experience with that. I know it works. It's all about accountability for the program that you're offering. We've talked about these FAFSA forms and the delays and the headache that's caused. Ralph, uh, Governor Hochul made news last week. She wants to make it mandatory that high schoolers fill out the FAFSA form uh, arguing that there's about $200 million left on the table every year. Do you support what the governor's doing here? Well, let me ask you a question here. Do you need a plumber or an electrician or a welder or a hairstylist? I didn't know if it was rhetorical or not. I didn't dare respond, and I would say yes to all those things. Yes, you would, and so would I. So none of those people that have those skills, which are highly sought-after skills, these days need to worry about a FAFSA form. Anytime the governor or any governmental agency says, let's make this mandatory, I get really nervous. Mm. I think that guidance counselors in the area public schools do a good job of pushing students to work on the FAFSA if that's something that they need to do, and I think they ought to leave it there. Gotcha. Not every kid was meant to go to college, and that is okay for sure. Right, absolutely. And then finally, back to Pennsylvania, Ralph, it's making available. I thought this was a really interesting story about college kids having kids. One and a half million dollars to help uh, these students cope with parenting as well as learning. I didn't realize that 20% of all Pennsylvania college kids are raising kids themselves. Is this a relatively recent phenomenon in higher education? No, it's not really. Back in 2011, there were uh, 4 million, this is nationwide, 4 million examples of this, and it's now up to 5 million where we have uh, young people that are in college who already have children and uh, 70% the people that are trying to raise children and go to college at the same time are mothers, most of them living in poverty and uh, to try to get daycare and push that into their budget it's very difficult so what they do is they go out to work 59% of them are in the workforce full time and 7% of them are even homeless while they're trying to raise a child and go to college. These are really motivated people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. And I support this if this encourages them to continue, because in these cases, a college education is what they really need. All right. Just like that, our time is up. Uh, But uh, wonderful stuff. We've been a lot of places in the past five minutes. If you want more information about any of the topics you heard on the program today, Ralph, you have a wonderful website. What is that? Thank you, Bob. It's simply whyrun.org, whyrun.org. 
Thank you, Dr. Kerr. Issues in Education comes your way Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Just look for the News tab on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. Well, for many, it's the uh, long President's Day weekend continuing. The weekend had been pretty wintry, but things are changing now. Though still cold today, the lake snows and other snows have gradually gone away, and some milder weather is on the way. But still a chill for the afternoon, sun and clouds, high temps, 30s, call it the low to mid-30s, except higher elevations hold in the 20s, dropping back into the teens tonight. Tomorrow and Wednesday, good deal of sunshine and turning milder. High temperatures tomorrow, 30s to near 40. High temperatures on Wednesday in the 40s to near 50. All right, thank you very much, Kevin. Finally, noon, let's play some President's Day trivia. Did you know the first president born in this country was Martin Van Buren? He's also the only president whose first language was not English. His native tongue was Dutch. Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to travel outside the country as president. Franklin Roosevelt was the first to ride in an airplane. William McKinley was the first to ride in an automobile. Benjamin Harrison was the first president to have electricity in the White House. Ulysses S. Grant was the president who declared Christmas a national holiday. Three presidents died on the 4th of July, Adams, Jefferson, and Monroe. One was born on the 4th of July, Calvin Coolidge. The first president born in a hospital was Jimmy Carter, who at 99 is also the oldest president in U.S. history. And that's the world we live in. Monday, President's Day, February 19th. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.